Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today I brought my friend Jacqueline back onto the show, and she is going to introduce a very exciting guest that we have on for you. So let's take it away, Jacqueline. Today we have on an evidential medium and psychic, Ivy Sunderjee. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me here. And we are going to explore the dynamics and interplay between mediumship and psychic ability and how that can affect uh, your attachment style. So, Ivy, I'd like to start off with just having you explain the difference between mediumship and psychic ability. Okay, so that's a great question. The difference between mediumship and psychic ability is that psychics are mostly concerned with looking at probabilities for the future. You go to a psychic, you're going to ask, who am I going to meet? Or am I going to get this job I want? And what psychics can look at is probabilities that are coming your way, turns in the road, ways to look at the decisions coming and like how your energy affects that. Whereas mediums, which is what more of what I do, we perceive like the energy of people who have passed on in different ways, either through like pictures in our mind, sounds in our mind, physical sensations. And through that, we're like in the middle translators of messages from them. And you can like have a conversation from beyond. And so with the psychic ability, what I'm curious is how fixed do you find events of the the possibility of events happening? Because that's, I feel like there's a lot of confusion. That's a great question also. No one can tell you exactly what's going to happen with 100% accuracy because you have free will and things are dynamic in the universe and things change. What psychics see are probabilities and what they tell you are their interpretations of what they see as the probabilities. The message can get lost in translation and it's also possible that probabilities can shift with time and choices that people make, either choices you make or choices people in the world that maybe you don't even know make that sort of affect moving parts that you might not be aware of. So if a psychic tells you're going to meet someone by this name and that's what they look like and you meet that person three weeks later, that feels like a miracle. And then someone else goes to the psychic and asks, who am I going to meet? And that same psychic tells them something and then that person doesn't show up. You might be like, what's going on? What did I do wrong? And the answer is nothing. Like it's not a perfect science by any means. And it's about probability. It's about likely possibilities. And the truth is you have choice. Psychics can't tell you everything. And the other thing to think about with psychics too is, and mediums, is that lost in translation happens. And so it's like everything I see and tell someone as a medium is like coming through my subjective filter. And so I can only give messages as well as I personally am like developed as a person to like understand them. I always think of this like when you watch a foreign film and I speak, uh, I have some level of capacity to speak French. And sometimes I'll watch a film in French with uh, English subtitles and I'll see that the subtitles are not matching what they're saying at all. So I almost compare it to that sometimes of where the translation can be off and sometimes it gives the idea and sometimes it's actually completely off. And I think that's a really good way to think about it. So mediums are translators of a language that like probably no one speaks totally fluently. We're trying their best. And so are psychics. And when it's good and it lands, it's amazing. And when it doesn't, it can also be like traumatic for people or it can like 
I've seen a lot of like pain that comes up for people uh, who go to psychics or mediums and like something gets lost in translation or um, something that they were like waiting for doesn't happen or doesn't happen quite like they were expecting. And I think it's good if you're going to access a psychic or medium and use it in your grief journey or in your life journey when you're like coping with anything to remember that like one, you're the best for your own life. So if something a psychic or medium says doesn't feel right to you or is like really upsetting, probably something got messed up in the translation and don't take it too seriously. I think it's so interesting, too, is because I can imagine that you get some sort of when these images and these pictures and the messages come through you. I'm imagining that you would get some sort of felt sense of what's going on. And I can imagine that would be really hard to translate, like what exactly you're feeling around these messages, images, whatever is coming up for you, what that actually feels like. But it's not always a felt sense, correct? For me, it's not always a felt sense. It's usually a picture in my head that I'm trying to describe. And I will say when Lost in Translation happens, it's usually because I'm adding an interpretation onto it instead of just describing what I'm seeing as objectively as possible. So it's like if I was looking at a painting on the wall and was trying to describe a picture and I wrote a story about it while describing it, that's when the medium subjective interpretation or the psychic subjective interpretation can muddle up the message. Whereas if I just try and describe what I'm seeing. So I gave a woman that I knew from uh, the past a um medium reading and she was engaged and her partner's like parents who had passed were coming through to talk to her and i kept seeing in my head what looked like hard dick coming up around this guy and i was like i can't say that to her i was like are they trying to talk about their sex life and so i was like there's something about him i just feel like he's like full of love for you and like really full-hearted and I was like, I can't get his name, though. And she's like, his name's Hardick, but you'd never get that. And so if I had just said what I saw, I would have said his name. Oh, that's, yeah. And I think that's interesting, too, in terms of, like, how much information do you get from people before the reading? And then, and I think that's, like, what, as therapists, we try not to put too much interpretation on what's going on as we're hearing it unless we have a lot of backstory or a lot of experience with a client. But I was just curious, like, how much information do you ask for or do you get before a reading? That's a great question, too. So ideally, I have no information about someone except for, like, how to contact them to get the reading going. And the less I know, the more of a blank slate I actually have to not add, like, my own interpretations and biases and assumptions about that person onto the meaning and like putting that in like making meaning out of the images the more i can just say what i'm seeing as objectively as possible so i actually prefer readings that are over the phone and i can't even see what the person looks like i don't care if i don't know their actual name i don't need to know that i all i need to do a reading is to feel like a sense of compassion and care for the person Hearing them say hello often is enough for me to be like, okay, I care about this person. Like I, they're an emotional person who's feeling things and like they're another human being. And I feel like compassion is the conduit, but I don't need to know anything and I don't want to know. Let's rewind for a second because I think your backstory is really interesting and how you came to this field. 
And if, if I'm correct, you were a complete non-believer at one point. Yeah, I was not a believer in mediums or psychics. Was that like an active non-belief or you, did you think about it? I never thought about it because I didn't think there's anything to think about. I grew up in a family of like educators and my grandfather was a physicist on the Manhattan Project and I studied math in college and was very like science minded. And just like I would describe myself now as a skeptical outlier to the point that like I believed in nothing. I was like, I'm an atheist. When we die, our bodies are sophisticated biological computers that shut down and that's it. I had no spiritual faith at all. I didn't think it was like something worth understanding. And so then what happened? All right. So this was like two and a half years ago. Now, my uh, partner, who was a psychiatrist and who also wasn't, he was like a very science minded person and he was very smart, but he's a little bit more of a believer in the magic of the universe than I was. He died very unexpectedly in a surfing accident. And so I was thrust into just like sudden, profound grief and shock. And in my grief, I suddenly felt like I heard him talking to me and I felt like I started hearing other dead people talking to me. And I was forced to confront a part of myself that had been there that I had just so crammed down and compartmentalized that I didn't even know it existed. And his death knocked me down from my regular life and I had nothing but time to sit around and cry and read books on grief and ask questions about if there is anything more and what are these things I'm hearing. And so it was really just like that, like time to look at myself and confront myself that in grief that sort of brought it out. And was that surprising to you being such a non-believer, hearing him communicate with you from the other side and other people as well? It was more than surprising. I really honestly thought I was having a mental health crisis. I thought I needed to be on like Risperdal or some kind of like antipsychotic. I thought I had, I thought I was having a, I thought I was hearing voices in my head from a psychotic break, basically. And because my partner who died, he was a psychiatrist. A lot of his friends were therapists and I knew that they were like safe people to talk to about what was going on. And so the very few first people that I started like confiding in like what I was hearing and what I was seeing in my head ended up being like the first evidential medium readings that I inadvertently gave and the things that I saw coming through ended up being about like dead loved ones of those therapists and the friends that I talked to. And I remember I told one of my friends what was going on. He wasn't a therapist, but he read what I had said to his therapist and his therapist started crying and was like, you need to give this woman a book on being a medium. But instead of being diagnosed as having a psychiatric problem, I was told by a bunch of therapists that I was having a spiritual experience that was helpful to me and that it was okay to lean into it. And I've still, I, I really struggled with skepticism, even as I was like doing medium ratings for quite a long time. So I'm a little embarrassed about that at this point, because I think that like skepticism can just be its own mental illness if you take it to an extreme to block out the evidence of what's in front of you. It sounds like it's a little bit of both, right? Because there's this stigma out there around mediumship and psychics and is it imagination? One of the things I hear in your journey of that skepticism, which can bring a fair amount of trust, not just trust in 
you're saying something, someone else is confirming that of, oh, how did you know that? Or, oh, this happened for me after the fact. But also when I think about how many books you read and being so science minded of like learning where does this fit in with a world that tends to be more concrete, even though yeah. science, the whole thing with science is all about like, how do we disprove something? So there is room like we can all agree there's more of what we don't know in the world than what we do know. Um. I will say, though, that part of my journey, though, was reading what science is out there about mediumship. And I do think that there's actually been enough rigorously done studies of mediums at this point that as of December of 2022, there was like a replication study that was successful of mediums abilities in University of Padova in Italy that confirmed prior studies that were published in peer-reviewed journals that said mediums do provide accurate information about the dead without fraud at rates greater than chance under like very carefully controlled blinded conditions. And there's the studies don't give an explanation for that. But as just like a regular person going about the world, I don't think there's a better explanation than just like the simplest one, which is we really are having the spiritual experiences we think we are and we can communicate. So I honestly think part of it was actually that I was scientific about how I looked at the question. And I said, if Anecdotal experience is the first part of the scientific method. And if you take what you're observing and apply logic to it and put it through these steps and tests and repeat those tests, that's how you get new information. And I anecdotally did that by giving readings. And then I was backed up by studies I read. And I will say once there's a successful replication study done and published in peer review with like as far as the body of scientific knowledge is concerned, that question is asked and answered. And it's like a waste of resources to keep asking the same questions. So I will say I was in a weird position where my skepticism was confronted by a tragedy in my life that like woke me up that there was a body of evidence that had just robustly come, came out as I was going through this journey. So it was like a perfect storm of my own grief, my own inquiry science, my skepticism, and my own personal experiences that made me feel like safe to explore it and safe to believe it. When I look at this from the lens of attachment yeah. and insecure attachment, that anxious, the avoidant, the disorganized versus secure attachment. And oftentimes what can happen is you're right, we all grow up with varying amounts of these, right? And then events happen throughout our lives that kind of push us in one direction or another. And we know, right, the neural pathways in the brain can be changed, right, based on actions. And I think the part when I look at the connection to the immaterial world, in order to be deeply secure, it's not just finding, feeling secure in self and you find another partner that's secure, right? Because stuff is going to happen within your relationship, within life, your partner might die. Who, who knows? Life. But deep, secure attachment is that connection to nature, to the immaterial world, to understanding that there's so much more having that felt sense of connection to the world in a much larger way. And I think to really move over towards a more securely attached style, it's really in a similar sense of learning to see and understand the world through a different set of eyes. And I think about like how if we look at mediumship and psychic abilities, how it might really help an anxious attacher on one hand, right? Have a sense of security or groundedness around dating. 
And then when the anxiety comes into play, it's like that temporary amnesia hits, then the person who runs anxious can no longer have that felt sense of everything's going to be okay, or this is my path. It goes out the window, right? Because the regulation is so high. And so in order to... Well, there's also, it, you also ignore the intuition. Exactly. Because the intuition is, I think, it sounds like what you're saying is the same as like our all of our connection to our intuitive guidance is our own inner medium or psychic spidey sense. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And I will, will say that what's interesting about skepticism, touching on what we were just talking about, is that like too much skepticism is really just another form of anxiety. And I will say that a lot of people who are going through grief, like even if you weren't anxious before, your anxiety is going to get triggered because it's when the rug gets pulled out from under your feet, it makes you feel unsafe. And part of coping with grief is figuring out how to be stable in yourself in a world that's shifting and a world that's changing in a world that it's like my partner died surfing and actually surfing is a good metaphor for how to feel more secure in the world. It's not that waves won't come. It's not that tragedy won't come. But if you're sitting around just like afraid of what's coming, you're going to miss the fun. And so I would say what's interesting about my journey as a medium is really that having that spiritual connection to the other side has made me feel like I'm more loved and supported than I knew. And that the love that we feel and share and build in this world is why we're safe. And so there's nothing to like be afraid of. We don't have to be afraid of trying to love. We don't have to be afraid of putting ourselves out there because even though like things end or don't always work out, it's like the love you build is real and it doesn't go away and it's not lost and it's not wasted. And imperfect things like aren't not worthwhile just because like they don't always work out. The experience is what matters. And yeah, I think mediumship really just like in a weird way, like tapping into the spiritual side is, has made me see that death is nothing to fear. And if you're not afraid of death, then there's really no reason to be anxious. And then, but one other thing about anxiety and psychics is that like my therapist is like somehow after getting me as a client, has gotten a bunch of psychics as clients. And she and I have talked a lot about her theory. And I've actually heard this from the other side too in my own conversation. Some anxiety, especially social anxiety, is really almost just like a TV picking up static from another radio station or like another station or like a radio picking up static from another radio station. And you get these little snippets of ideas and thoughts that come out of context and then they get bounced around in your head in a fearful way that other people are like thinking things about you or other things are going to happen because you're getting a bunch of sensory information out of context that you don't know what to do with. So there's actually a correlation, I think, between a lot of anxiety and having psychic ability. That makes sense because the anxious attacher can be almost overly attuned with that heightened sensitivity. And it's like learning to use that sensitivity in a way that can be helpful versus when it becomes harmful. And so when we're in the throes of the anxious attachment, it becomes harmful, right? Like it's a different sense to have that knowing, like an inner, like the intuitive sense of, oh, something, something's amiss here versus the anxious sense, which I feel is like this kind of like black hole spiral of despair really is the mindset and the felt experience, you know? 
It's the difference between walking on eggshells around someone because you feel like you have to contort yourself for someone else and really just feeling secure in yourself to say, I can say yes to things. I can say no to things. I can walk away and I'll be okay. Or I can engage in something and try it out and see how it goes. And I'm safe even if it gets a little bit like out of control or outside of my comfort zone. I'm driving the ship. This makes me think like before earlier when you were talking about intuition and and I'm just relating this to when we're talking about like when we're more in our intuition, we're more in that securely attached place. And I just know that when I'm in that space myself, I can tap into some of my own. I'm not going to call myself a psychic, but I can tap into some of my own psychic energy where it's that thing where it's like, oh, I think about somebody and then 10 minutes later they call me or they text me or or I think about something and then maybe a day later it happens. So I feel like when I'm really like attuned to who I am, I'm feeling very secure. I'm feeling safe. I'm feeling connected and not only to myself, but just to the world at large. I feel like some of my, like these psychic abilities can come up. So I'm curious when you're working with people and they're bringing their own kind of anxiety, you know, maybe it's, I don't know if there's a type of attachment style that seeks out mediums, if it's like more anxious or avoidant or disorganized or secure, but I'm just curious, how do you work in that space? Maybe with somebody who, because we, we were talking about anxiety with somebody who presents more anxious. And how does that work? What does that look like in the room or on the phone? However it is you're doing your reading. And so I mostly do readings on Zoom or on the phone. And I will say that like, I get people from all kinds of attachment styles coming in for readings. I will say it does impact the reading and anyone with any attachment style can have a successful medium reading. I would say most medium and psychic readings like go well and like people feel comforted by the evidence. They get messages that resonate it can feel like a rewarding experience. I never want it to be a traumatic experience for anyone. If I feel like I can't read for someone well, I will just end the reading or refund them. I'll just be like, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna give you your money back and say, wait, or find someone else. I'm not the right medium. I never want anyone to feel trauma. And I think that there's a couple of things going on with mediums so that sometimes anxiety really can get in the way of a good medium reading, either if it's in the sitter or in me. When you say anxiety in this situation, is it like a certain amount of like dismissiveness or a feeling of like intensity of expectations or what does that anxiety look like? So I would say there's like a big correlation between both like anxiety and a need for control and certainty, hmm. a need for like things to be exact or precise. And also just like when panic happens, like people stop listening. So when people are so anxious that they are almost like in fight or flight, which can happen during grief, you can actually just like your brain can start running so fast with like scenarios and like possibilities that like you can't even listen to what someone else is saying to you because you're so stuck in your own head. And I will say that a good number of the few readings that I've ever had to like say, oh, I can't read for you right now, a significant number of them, it was like, and I actually was, I think this person getting a medium reading and I was very lucky to go to a medium who just was willing to read for me anyway. Her name is Tracy Bray. Thank you, Tracy. She was wonderful for fighting through my own skepticism. But I would say it's, if someone is like so skeptical and picks apart like every word I'm saying instead of giving me the benefit of the doubt and listening and trying to understand what I'm saying and look at how 
it could make sense instead of just like shutting down the minute. One thing is like just not exactly perfect. Um, those people usually can't get evidence. And so if you can't get evidence, you can't really start a reading. And if you can't hear the intent and the benefit of the doubt, even if something gets a little lost in translation, which also happens in interpersonal relationships with, I would say, anxious attachment a lot. If you can't listen for the message underneath, you're not going to be able to take in the personality, the love. Because like, I'm a translator. I'm not going to get everyone's words exactly right. I remember I gave one reading and to a man who I was like, his son was trying to say a very specific word to me about the moment of his death. And I knew this wasn't the right word. I kept hearing it, thinking he said dunzo, like just dunzo. And I was like, I know this isn't quite right, but it has that sort of alliterative sound. And the dad I was giving the reading to, he was like, yeah, my son would never say a word like dunzo. Two weeks later, I was like, he he's trying to say finito. He's trying to say finito. And I ended up messaging the dad. I was like, he was trying to say finito. And he's like, that sounds like my son. And because this man was like open to hearing it and his anxiety wasn't blocking it, he was able to like take in the message, even though it wasn't quite a hundred percent. It was like, there's enough that was like accurate enough and specific enough that he saw the love and connection coming through, even though it got a little lost in translation. But I was like, anxious. If it's too anxious, there's no benefit of the doubt and the reading can't really go forward. You know, I share so much of the secure attachment and even the interplay of, right, that flexibility of the, the, the mind and the openness to say yes and say no. That resonates, that doesn't resonate. We're exploring here along the way and the fluidity that comes with secure attachment. I have two questions for you. Can I touch on one other thing? Yeah. Really so I'll also say like the stigma around mediumship can take make it really hard for people to come into a medium reading with the benefit of the doubt. So if you add someone who is already really anxious, plus they have stigma and skepticism, they've been influenced by the stigma around it and the skepticism, despite the fact that the science is better than it was around it. That stigma itself can cause anxiety and make it hard to give benefit of the doubt. Because if you come in hostile and not trusting the medium and thinking they're trying to rip you off, you're not going to have a good reading. <laughs> Which like is you hilarious. Might... It's just interesting psychology right there where it's, I'm going to be hostile and cynical about this. And also I'm expecting you to give me some answers. I wonder if it's a more a disorganized attacher who would enter that way with not knowing, right? Like that high anxiety of wanting the answer and then coming close in some way with the possibility that might be wrong. So that immediate dismissiveness can come up. And there is stigma. Like, I think the stigma gets in people's heads. So even if they, like, really do want a medium reading and they do want to connect, if they're prone to skepticism, if they're prone to anxiety, um, two, it's like the stigma is just like an added layer of anxiety that gets put on from, like, social pressure, from, like, a misunderstanding about who mediums are and what they do. That makes me even think around medicine as in any capacity and, and our bodies, right? Like we know when we go into fight and flight, fight or flight, for example, the digestive system shuts down, mm -hmm. right? So our mental and emotional state absolutely affects our physical state and how we take in any kind of treatment or care from the medical system. And there's starting to be more and more studies evidencing the correlation. And I just think about how that applies to this too. It's not so different. No, I feel like there are like diff different ways that the same dynamics play out. But you had two questions. I do. So I'll start with the first. Is there, when is there escapism and avoidance? Is there through, can you use mediumship and psychic abilities for escapism and avoidance of 
uh, things? That is a wonderful question. I will say that there are people, so on the medium side that happens and I think on the psychic side that happens. And I would say as like avoidance, if someone keeps going to mediums like a lot, one or two good evidential mediumship readings for a deceased loved one should give you the comfort you need. It's great if you go back for a check-in every couple of years, or, but you shouldn't be going to one every month, going to all these ones. They have a limited but real value for a lot of people. So if you haven't found profound comfort from one or two readings, the benefit of going to more isn't really there. And it's probably just a way of like living in denial. Mm-hmm. Like even denial of your felt experience. Denial of your grief. It's like this... Mm. And There's grief, like, you're, when you're saying grief right now, you're not just talking about loss of a loved one, but you're talking about like grief could be a breakup or where you're at in life now, as opposed to where you thought you would be, for example, of what you you want versus what is actually happening, living in the acceptance. And I, I would say like with psychic readings, that is more like those are the types of things that like if someone is not content in their present and isn't able to just live in their present, they might like continually ask psychics like the same questions over and over again. Yeah. And so if, like, you're not satisfied by a couple psychics telling you, like, yes, this is coming for you, but it'll come with it, you're probably not going to get a better answer just by continuing to ask. And That's almost when that going back to the behavioral part of creating more of a secure attachment is really the continual right to, in order to install a new habit, like, we have to continuously act in a new way. So that's, like, where... You might have to continuously tell yourself again and again, I have uh, evidence proving this. I'm going to have to walk through the walk of those feelings and I got to keep telling myself this. And over time, it does become true to have that new felt sense of security and using things like a a psychic reading or Mm -hmm. mediumship in order to have some of that sense could be a tool. But part of that is going to be in the work in changing the behavior and just doing it differently again and again. I think there's also that level of expectation. So coming in and feeling, okay, I'm going to see Ivy about a loved one that I lost a few months ago that's passed on to the other side. And then if I don't like what I hear, I'm going to go to somebody else because I'm expecting, again, looking to the external to help with my healing, like to tell me like that it's going to be okay. So I'm always like curious about that level of expectation that people have in this work and when they walk away because they're disappointed that they didn't hear what they wanted to hear. It's such an interesting point and a really good point to bring up that just because a medium or psychic doesn't tell you what you want to hear doesn't mean that they aren't good at what they do or they aren't telling you something valuable. Sometimes they're not telling you what you want to hear because something got lost in translation and it like triggers you in some way. But sometimes it's, I would say like people who are like have greater anxiety and less self-trust. And I think those two things are synergistic actually, because I think security is really all about like self-trust to cope with whatever comes up. That's a huge thing I see with people who run more anxious is low trust in self and low trust in others or too much trust in people who haven't earned the trust, right? Like it's just an imbalance of trust in general. And the same with avoidant attachers who maybe trust themselves more and don't allow themselves to trust others. It's just like different ways of having control yeah. around what makes you anxious. Because like, you've said this before, that avoidance is just another form of anxiety. Suppression. But it's like still rooted in anxiety and yeah. fear. But 
yeah, like not hearing what you want to hear is having something you want to hear is really good. There, there's an interplay between hope and like a need for control. And hope is a great thing. And the need for control doesn't do anyone any good because like, we can't control anything. And I would say that one of the hardest parts about dealing with anxiety, and I, I'll just disclose, like I've struggled with anxiety in my life. I have ADHD. I've also had really bad bouts of OCD in my life. So I have like really bad anxiety at times. And it's because the world feels out of control and you don't feel like you can trust yourself to keep yourself safe or you don't feel like the world is safe. And sometimes the world just really isn't safe. <laughs> and that's also true. But you, can, you can't really control any of that. And, and in essence, if you have that secure attachment, it's not that you like even like it's like trusting enough to know what to do at certain moments or know you'll figure it out or just even like, I think, connecting with that intuitive sense of the next right action. Exactly. Because it's just because you have secure attachment doesn't mean like grief won't happen to you or you won't get cheated on or you won't get dumped or like a tsunami won't come and take out your house all of a sudden or something you wanted to happen. Like you have lots of disappointment with even when you're securely attached. It's just like you aren't sitting there like anticipating it with dread and paralyzed by it like waiting for it like planning waiting for that shoe to drop waiting for the other shoe to drop planning to be traumatized or recreating more trauma even when there is no trauma that can happen too like sadly i know how that feels it's like the feeling the felt sense can be so large and it's just recreating the past over and over we can't control what is happening in the world but we can control our response to it and so having that sense of I know that I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to be able to get through this. This is hard. And I know I'm going to be able to come out the other side. I'm just going to sit with what I'm feeling. I'm just going to sit with it because that's all I can do. Like sometimes because there's situations that happen to people in life where like things really aren't going to be okay and you can't pick yourself up. Like people get like my sister's in this terrible paragliding accident and like she literally couldn't move her body for months and had to be like taken care of in a hospital and like she really couldn't control even herself in most ways. And even her, like, she was, like, very, there was a very little she had control over. And I would say, like, part of secure attachment, too, is just feeling comfort and that there's, like, more than just this. And, like, even the worst moments of our life, even when they do feel out of control, even when we can't control ourselves, like, these moments will pass and something new will come. It's the allowance that felt sense. And I think with that insecure attachment, it's, feeling allowing yourself to have the felt sense of whatever it is and tolerating it yeah i'm wondering if because we're talking about coming from a place of security have you ever experienced a difference with somebody who is coming from a place of more anxiety versus someone who is coming from a place of more security in terms of your readings somebody's coming and showing up very open to the experience and i'm here for it i want to whatever you download I'm going to accept all of it. Has there ever been like a difference in how much information comes through? Oh, absolutely. Because I'm also a person and I also care about doing a good job. And I am not impervious to my own, like I would say like performance anxiety as a medium, even though like I don't have control over it. Like I also struggle with anxiety as a human being. We all do at times. If I feel like I'm like disappointing someone with what I'm bringing through, if I feel like I'm not getting it right, if I don't feel like I have like safety to give the messages, like it can block it for me. 
I've definitely had experiences like where when someone is warm and like just open to what I am saying and seems like grateful for it or just feels like connected and feels like present with me and is like enjoying it. Like those readings are a lot of fun. You get a lot of stuff coming through a lot of those readings. I would say like when someone is like anxious or it's hard to get them, get the message out, it could make me clam up too. So it like is a two-way street. And like my own, if I get too anxious in a reading or if like, even if someone is just coming in and they trigger me in some way, because what they're dealing with is something that makes me really anxious, which is very rare, but can happen. Like, I never want to say like, it's all or nothing with medium readings because there's always a surprise. Like whenever I say it's always this or it's always this, it's not always anything. But I will say I can definitely as a medium drop the ball or not do as well as I could if I feel like someone is like very like anxious or on edge because I don't, I'm a human being. Like I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to make anyone sad. I don't want to disappoint them. I want to do a good job for them. I want them to get their money's worth. I want them to feel connected. I want them to feel reassured. I want them to feel loved. I want them to get what they need. And I feel like it affects me if like a reading doesn't go well too. I try not to let it affect me, but care a lot about um, treating people well. And it's a big honor to like, get to sit with someone in their grief and like, get this intimate glimpse into their, the love they've had and how they're seen by people who love them. You, you really see how much love matters and you really get to see sides of people you would never see by seeing them through their loved one's eyes. That's a gift you get as a medium and it's you really want to be able to get like, that emotion and that feeling through and like, get the message through. And like, if the message can't get received because it's blocked in either direction, that's... it's doesn't it's disappointing it's you feel like there's more that could have happened mm. and i would say the same in life with presence anytime you're really present in an experience you get more out of it and and you have all this energy that comes through you with these readings how do you take care of yourself that is a good question not as well as i should i so it's a lot to be a person carrying grief and also an ambitious person like I have other jobs like I'm also a writer and I'm also a professor and I do work really hard and I probably don't do as much self-care as I should like I try to exercise I try to take baths I try to I go to therapy like I, I have a dog so like I have things that I do like I see friends I do eat a lot of candy <laughs> so that's my drug of choice is red licorice and junior mints and I don't eat as well as I should and that's something I definitely like need to work on I don't know you're touching on something I definitely need to do better with yeah, I know we take care of others and we have a hard time taking care of ourselves. I want to know if somebody is wanting to consult with a medium what would mm -hmm. you recommend is there something that you would recommend them to prepare mm -hmm. how to prepare what would that look like Oh, that's such a great question. So to prepare for a medium reading, first to find a medium, I would say, look for someone who says they're evidential. Look for someone who has a website that says they have a refund policy. Look for someone who has like good word of mouth or reviews. That's a good way to find a medium is look for someone who has like a good reputation and either a web presence or just like actually addresses the like elephant in the room with an unregulated industry by saying, I know this is not a perfect industry, but I'm doing my best and I'm like trying to do something good. So like any medium who like has that kind of like ethics behind them, I would say that's probably like a reasonable medium to try and go and see. And then the 
how to prepare for a reading, I would say it's good to sit and think about your loved one that you want to come through. It can help to like either think about questions that you have for them. Think about you can write it down. You can just think it, but just like spend time thinking about what you want to get out of it. Like what are and not as an expectation, but just like what are you hoping for in a conversation? Like what do you need to know that's unresolved, if anything? I would say like. When my partner died and I went to a medium, I wanted to know what he was thinking. If he had time to think as he was dying, what was happening to him. And so I wrote that question down and the medium answered it without me asking. And so that's the thing that will happen a lot of times. So if you come in with a list of questions in your head, they'll have something they want to tell you too. So you might not hear everything on your list. But a lot of times if you have questions, they want to answer. That's a good way to have a reading actually go better is to spend time preparing for it just by thinking about your loved one and thinking about anything you want to hear from them. And, and then how this would apply to your love life. I think the questions about your love life for a psychic, the big question people usually have is, am I going to meet someone? And then the next question is, who am I going to meet? Or where am I going to meet them? Or, and so it's like, it's a lot of like journalistic questions, like who, what, where, when, why, how. If I'm like thinking from the other side, like what they would like to impart, I would say it's good to ask if you're ready to hear it. What do I actually need to look for in a partner? What do I need to see in myself to be ready for a partner? Am I ready for a partner? Am I ready to even hear this? That's something I've heard with another intuitive person a lot is she's always checking on and if she is even allowed to ask these kinds of questions. Because it's and the other thing, too, is that life is like unexpected and like things change and like you're going to. What if like. You're going to be I remember I gave a reading to one woman and she was like, she's like when am I going to meet? Like a man to be with and it was like a very specific question and she's like, I feel like I'm having no luck with men. And I kept seeing like different men she was going to meet. And I think she did meet some of them and told me about them, but they all turned out to be like not that great. And she ended up dating someone who wasn't male. And I couldn't have told her that at the time because I don't think she was there yet and being open to that or even thinking of that as a possibility for her life. But did you see that at the time? No, because I don't think she was ready to hear it. And oh, so yeah, I don't think that I would even get the answer. Uh -huh. Or, and even if I did, I wouldn't have known how to like interpret that because I would never make assumptions about people in that way. And I don't think that's appropriate for a medium to do. I actually think ask gender is an interesting thing in a medium reading, actually, because when the energy of a person comes through, like our spiritual energy is not gendered. Mm -hmm. And I will say that it can be hard to tell if faces I'm seeing in my head, like I'll see people's faces a lot. Sometimes it's very clear they're male or female. Sometimes it is not at all clear. And so I'm like, I think they're a guy or I think they're a girl. I don't really know. I don't really get fixated on that. But just like sometimes like the curveballs coming in life that like someone isn't really ready to hear about or won't benefit from hearing about might make it hard to give someone a very clear answer about their love life because everything that happens in your life changes those things. Even timing, right? What is time and how we measure time that doesn't really exist in the realm in a way that we measure it when is not a good question <laughs> a lot of these kind of questions sound very vague like when am i going to meet the person or what's going to happen i don't know it just sounds like a lot of these questions sound really vague and i'm just curious if there's like more of a specific specificity to the question if that's more helpful 
specificity with questions is always helpful. And I will say like with love life specifically, like a good question that someone asked once is, are there places I should go or spend more time doing or things that I like should mm-hmm. spend that will put me in a place to meet my person? That is a question I could see and get an answer to. It'd be like, oh, I see you're supposed to go do square dancing every Thursday night. <laughs> and that will lead you to your person. Or there's like a painting class you will take and that's going to lead you there. And so what's interesting, though, is what it turns the focus back on yourself. Yeah. Which that's that part of back to that law of attraction, right? Once you're filling your own cup, it just has that natural flow. And it's I keep thinking about what you're saying from that, even in taking a reading and a reading from that place of or goal of secure attachment of like holding it with a little bit of lightness, right? Because that allows us to see messages more clearly and like for ourselves even. If I go to the salsa class next Thursday, it doesn't mean I'm going to meet the person. But it could be like maybe because you go to the dance class, you do 12 other different things differently in your life. And then six months later, like you're the person who can meet that person because you've done that like self-development. But a lot of times people are like, or it could just be right the a person like of immediate you're seeing versus the long-term person, right? Does that ever happen where you're like, am I going to meet the person? And you're seeing somebody which you don't know that timeline is actually within 24 hours versus five years from now. Yeah, sometimes I just see the next person in the queue that they're going to meet. I remember I told one of my friends, I was like, you're going to meet a guy and his name is Ari and he's this and he's that. He's a medical student and he's from this place. And I assumed that meant that was the person she was going to end up with. That was the next person on her like Tinder profile, like the next day. And they didn't, they connected on Tinder. And I think that's all that happened. And so my interpretation of scope can be off. And then. Yeah, I'm thinking about. Yes, I remember I didn't know you and I was debating breaking up with this. I knew I had to break up with this person. You knew nothing about (laughs) him. And you compared him to something that was very specific about him that I was like, there there was no, no way that you would know that. And then you went on to remark about how I'd meet an Italian from Lake Cuomo. And literally 24 hours later, I'm asking the universe for a sign. I said, I wanted a sign, not just that breaking up with a person was the right thing to do, but a sign of safety. I'm walking down, taking one of my long little walks, as I love to do for my secure attachment. And I cross a side street and this car, it's like me or the car. And the car is like, oh, you go and pulls around the corner, gets out of the car. And the case does not happen to like, and the guy starts talking to me and I have my headset on. I pulled it out. He's this young, cute Italian guy who proceeds to ask me out on the street, which in 12 years I lived in L.A. has literally never happened. And he was just for that. He never you got like, to the Italians. <clears throat> but yeah, it was and it wasn't. And he was from a town near Lake Cuomo. And so it's funny because I think about the anxious attacher in that moment who could say, oh, this is my big thing. And it was really just the next sign. And actually, I did ask for a sign of safety that did make me feel like there is an abundant world. and. That anxiously attached part of myself was like, but he's the person. Now I got to make him the person. He was not the person. <laughs> this brings up two things for me, too. And one is that, like, you should never value the words of the dead in any form or from a psychic or a medium more than your own lived experience. So mm-hmm. just because psychic says you're going to meet this person, you have to trust your own gut in the situation. You're driving this ship. Mediums are not invaluable. Even religious texts are not invaluable. We get stuff wrong. We get stuff lost in translation. We see things out of scope. 
we don't always get it right. You can't just say the psychic said I'm going to meet this person and I'm not going to go out with this great guy because the psychic said I'm going to meet someone else. That's insane. Don't do that. Live your life. Be present in your life. If the psychic is right, the person will show up when they're ready. And again, you I love the word that you use is scope. Like you use that word with the with your friend in Tinder. Like just because I say you're going to meet somebody and you meet them, it doesn't mean that this is your fairy tale happily ever after. It just is. I am just giving you information. And I could have asked the question wrong spiritually, so I could have gotten it. I could have been like, who are I could have just said, who are they going to meet? And I should have in my head been more specific and been like, who are they going to get married to? And I didn't ask it quite right. So that's another reason scope can be off is that the question can be asked imperfectly by the sitter. And the question can be asked of them imperfectly by me. It can be translated imperfectly. The other thing I've seen with people who want to go to a psychic for romantic advice is people who feel like I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. And the person hasn't shown up. Like, where are they? Like, what's wrong with me? Because I haven't found love yet. And I'm going to say, like, when is a terrible question. (laughs) There's no time on the other side. And just because something hasn't shown up doesn't mean you're not ready. It doesn't mean you haven't done the work. It doesn't mean you're not doing everything right. You could have been ready 10 years ago. And maybe the other person isn't ready yet. Or maybe like you're supposed to go do a job or something that would be hard to do if the person was there already. Like we don't see the bigger picture. We can't see the bigger picture. So just because some people find love early doesn't mean it lasts forever. Like I found the love of my life when I was 29, 28, 29, God, in my 20s. And he died when I was 35. I found my person and I still have a lot of my life to live without him. Hopefully, if I live a long life, I have to. So it's the other thing to think, though, is that there's always going to be love in your life. But I think we could all benefit from expanding our idea of love that's valuable and that all the love in your life is valuable. If your romantic partner is here, lean into the love of your family, lean into the love of your friends, lean into the love of your pets. Appreciate the love that you do have in the moment, because even when you find romantic love, It is not a panacea. It is not a cure-all. It is not going to solve your problems. And it's not going to be everything. It's not going to be everything. Romantic love is like one very specific lane of love. Like it should be the dessert of a full life. So if you were going to give our listeners kind of one piece or a few pieces of advice on how to connect to their own psychic or intuitive sense, like how to build that capacity within themselves, what would you say to do? That's a really good question. I will say that lowering your anxiety, being present with yourself, finding a way to be in any flow state, I would say, whether it's if surfing is your flow state, if painting is your flow state, even just driving can be a flow state. Whatever sort of gets you almost connected, but instinctive so that it can just, if you're worried about it, you're not going to, you have to turn down the volume on the worry. So what, whatever turns down the volume on the world. Yeah, even if it's just moving your body. That's why EMDR is an effective tool because it just, it gives you a distraction. So you're not, it moves your focus elsewhere to something that's rhythmic and then it doesn't. Yeah, that's the whole part of EMDR. Clients go, oh, it's distracting. It's, it's actually, that's literally the point is to distract the brain in a certain way in order to unravel that way of thinking. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, anything you can do to get in the flow state to connect. And then I would also just say develop a sense of self-trust and self-compassion. 
And this is a mantra I try to tell myself and I try and give it to everyone. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to get it wrong. I think people get very afraid that if they get something wrong, if they hear something wrong, if one piece of a reading isn't perfect, if one piece of the Bible isn't true anymore or accurate, that like the rest of it's just going to fall apart and that none of this is real if something is wrong. And I think that if you can give yourself the grace to say, I am trying to tap into something that I know is real or I want to think is real or it's comforting to think is real or I'm just curious about exploring it. If you can just give yourself permission to be present and that without worrying about it falling apart, without worrying the other shoes because to drop on spirituality if some piece of it doesn't work out quite how you thought, that can also set you at ease to just try. So getting out of the rigidity and more into flexibility. Rigidity is like... Rigidity is a sign the brain is in disorganization. The minute that within yourself, regulate yourself in some way, even the awareness can be the start of regulation. Mm-hmm. You mean, I might not be any rational state of mind or secure well, state of and mind. Rigidity is partly what contributes to OCD. Or just, yes. Again, like I said, I've struggled mm-hmm. with that in the past. It's almost like, it's like when you're in a rigid state, like you just get stuck in a feedback loop that's stuck. It's like a thing that like a signal bounces one way and it just hits the wall and bounces right back. And so you can never move forward or think anything else because you're just saying the same thought over and over again and getting the same answer over and over again. And yeah, like rigidity doesn't help anything. I had this one friend who she was trying to connect to a deceased loved one and she's she couldn't get past. She's like, how do I know if it's my thoughts or their thoughts? Like, how do I know if it's me or them? Because she's like, if I just sit and clear my mind, it's like it feels like it's only things that I would think. And it doesn't ever feel like something from outside myself. And I was like, maybe this person has been passed for so long and so integrated in part of you that like, they're just like so integrated into like how you think that their thoughts feel like your thoughts. Because I will say like a lot of people have like intuitive guidance and thoughts in their heads their whole lives long that are like put there from their loved ones on the other side where they're like higher selves or someone outside themselves that's like watching out for them. And we can't always separate between our own thoughts and thoughts from the outside. And it doesn't really matter because I think really the other side has a layer of like connection to it and how people like our energies like connect on the other side. And the boundaries might be more porous than we realized. And it just, it's again like that rigidity. We don't need to be so rigid in thinking about it. You can just think, I'm sitting with myself. I'm asking these questions. I'm going to take what comes through. I'm going to apply what makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, I'm going to let it go. And just know that's a perfectly valid spiritual practice and way in. That's such great advice for when people are practicing their own intuition and what they're, whatever they're, what's, whatever's, what's coming up for them. Just take it as is. What are the pieces of it that work for you that make sense that resonate? Because if it doesn't resonate, like that's okay too. And like, you're going to get things that come through that don't always feel good. I would say this is something I've experienced too. Sometimes you get thoughts that like don't sit right or don't quite resonate. So just let that shit go. You don't have to hold on to it if it's if it doesn't serve you, if it doesn't work for you. There's like fear in having thoughts. It, this just it makes me think of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think, was asked once like how to have a successful relationship. And she said, Oh, it always helps to be a little deaf. <laughs> And it just reminded me of what you said in the sense of even in relationships, right? Like you have to let some things go. You can't be on every single thing. It's a, it's that flow of 
yeah, you take what you like and leave the rest to a certain extent without having that amnesia, like that integration and lightness. And I'm also imagining that some of these images that might be coming through might make sense to the person who you're who's mm-hmm. who you're receiving them from. It may not make sense to me, and being okay with that because it's I don't know who if we're talking about somebody that. I'm projecting maybe that I want to have a relationship with in the future, or if I'm doing some grief work around a family member that I've lost, whatever those images are, they might be coming from the other person and they don't make any sense to me. And I, and it's, you have to be okay with that. They're trying their best too. I I think the other side needs like mediums on the other side that like, it's, I think I'm a, good medium now because my partner died and he's my medium on the other side who like knows enough how I think carefully enough that like he can send me specific images that he knows will land most of the time and without that it's like a free-for-all and someone might be showing me like a red telephone and I'm like it makes me think of a scene from a movie with a red telephone and I'm like looking through movie references and that person is really trying to talk about the color red or just get me to say the name red, but I'm focused on the telephone. Because I never know what details are important or like why they showed me that specific image. And so if someone's less practiced on the other side, it can be harder for them to get stuff through. Do you want a psychic reading, Mary? Oh my, I would love to have a psychic reading. Do you want to um, do it? Yeah, plug? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Yeah. I, I would do it even live. I think that would be amazing. So speaking of psychic readings, I know how to get in touch with you. How do people get in touch with you to have a psychic reading? Yeah, I have a website. It's my name, ivysunderji.com. It's I-V-Y-S-U-N-D-E-R-J-I.com. And that will be in the show notes. I love getting psychic clients. Also love getting medium clients. I mostly get medium, but happy to do psychic readings. I always think that they're fun and it's a treat to do psychic readings because they just like... I love doing medium readings too because it's like going to dinner with someone and having an intimate conversation and getting to know just like very like special details about people's lives and things. They're all very meaningful, but they're like a lot. And like psychic readings could just be like fun. So love doing those too. Ivy, thank you so much for meeting with us. So if our listeners out there have any questions, you can DM me at Mary B Therapy on Instagram or come visit me on my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.